Mark chapter 11, verse 1. And when they came nigh to Jerusalem unto Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, he sendeth forth two of his disciples and saith unto them, Go your way into the village over against you. And as soon as ye be entered into it, ye shall find a colt tied whereon never man sat. Loose him and bring him. And if any man say unto you, Why do ye this? Say ye that the Lord hath need of him. And straightway he will send him hither. And they went their way and found the colt tied by the door without in a place where two ways met, and they loose him. And certain of them that stood there said unto them, What do ye loosen the colt? And they said unto them, Even as Jesus had commanded, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and cast their garments on him, and he sat upon him. And many spread their garments in the way, and others cut down branches off the trees and strode them in the way. And they that went before and they that followed cried, saying, Hosanna, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Blessed be the kingdom of our father David that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And Jesus entered into Jerusalem and into the temple. And when he had looked round about upon all things, now the eventide was come, and he went out unto Bethany with the twelve. And on the morrow, when they were come from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing a fig tree afar off having leaves, he came, if haply he might find anything thereon. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for the time of figs was not yet. And Jesus answered and said unto it, No man can eat, said unto it, No man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. And his disciples heard it. And they come to Jerusalem, and Jesus went into the temple. And began to cast out them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves. And would not suffer that any man should carry any vessel through the temple. And he taught, saying unto them, Is it not written, My house shall be called of all nations the house of prayer? But ye have made it a den of thieves. And the scribes and the chief priests heard it and sought how they might destroy him. For they feared him, because all the people was astonished at his doctrine. And when even was come, he went out of the city. And in the morning, as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter, calling to remembrance, saith unto him, Master, behold, the fig tree which thou cursed is withered away. And Jesus answering said unto them, Have faith in God. For verily I say unto you, that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Therefore I say unto you, What things soever ye desire, when ye pray, believe that ye shall receive them, and ye shall have them. And when ye stand praying, forgive. If ye have aught against any, that your Father also, which is in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses. But if ye do not forgive, neither will your Father, which is in heaven, forgive your trespasses. All right, so here we are in the book of Mark, chapter 11. And in Mark, chapter 11, this, this records the triumphal entry of Jesus Christ. Jesus' march into Jerusalem. Uh, we celebrate this march on Passover Sunday. This is the trip that Jesus is making into Jerusalem just before Passover. This is a big deal. In Mark chapter 11, we have Jesus, Christ, Messiah. 
King of kings and Lord of lords, the promised one of Israel, going into Jerusalem just as God had promised. This is the moment that the Israelites had been praying for for centuries. This is the moment that those who were following Jesus in that day were waiting for. They knew he was Messiah. They knew he was Christ. They knew he was going. And they were waiting for him to go into Jerusalem to take his throne, so to speak. So this is their moment. This is what they were waiting for. This is what they were looking forward to. This is the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies and the promises of God. This is it. And they missed it. They missed it. In Luke chapter 19, verse 42, Jesus said, If you had known even thou, at least in this thy day, the things which belong unto thy peace, but now they are hid from thine eyes. God, from the times of the Old Testament, had promised Israel a Messiah, a Christ, a Savior. So what Isaiah chapter 9 was about when he said unto us a child is born unto us a son is given it was the sign given in Isaiah seven fourteen. that behold the Lord himself shall give you a sign mm -hmm. a virgin shall conceive and bring forth a son and shall call his name Emmanuel which being interpreted is God with us yeah. but what was about to happen was the fulfillment of Isaiah 53 that said, surely he hath borne our griefs, and surely he hath carried our sorrows, and we esteemed him smitten. You see, God kept his promise. The scriptures were given. The scriptures foretold the coming of Christ. Mm -hmm. But they missed it. Because they were looking for different things. Mm -hmm. The Pharisees and the chief priests, they missed it. Because they were more concerned about their own prestige and their own thing that they had going on. The people missed it because they were looking for a king to run off the Romans so they wouldn't have to pay taxes no more. Many of the disciples missed it. Not the apostles, but many of the disciples missed it. Because they were looking for a military king that would take the throne and then they would get to be first in line to have a cabinet position. You know, that whole getting in on the ground floor. They missed it. Now, we have been told... That Christ is coming. Yes. The scriptures foretell it. And we'll go over some of those this morning. The scriptures foretell. The scriptures promise that Jesus is coming. The scriptures tell us Jesus is coming. Preachers have preached that Jesus is coming. Recently, Jack Van Impey passed away. Now, I've never paid enough attention to tell you whether I agree or disagree with Jack Van Impey. But I do remember that every night at 11 o'clock on our local TV station there in East Texas... Jack Van Impey came on with this little news broadcast looking TV show that he would talk about what the United Nations was doing and how that pointed to the coming of Christ. And it's about to happen, you know. Um, the preachers have preached it. How many sermons have y'all sat through where the preacher preached about how Jesus could come back at any moment? Yeah. There's a funny story about a man who mentored me back in East Texas, Brother Marvin Gardner. He was starting a new church in Tyler, Texas, and they were meeting at a, at a funeral home there in Tyler. And he was preaching about the second coming of Jesus. And while he's preaching about the second coming of Jesus, a hearse pulled around behind the funeral home to deliver a body. And the way that they would signal that they were there was that they would honk the horn. Not unusual. 
But Brother Gardner is there in the pulpit preaching, and he said, I know that any moment, Gabriel's going to blow that horn about that time a hearse driver blew the horn behind the building. Everybody came up off the seats about this high, and Brother Gardner stopped his sermon right there and said, let's have a hymn of invitation. <laughs> and there was a great soul harvest that day, you see. We, we've, been, we've heard the sermons. He's coming back. Amen. Lady made fun of me on Facebook here within the past couple of weeks because y'all been saying that for 2,000 years. But he's coming back. I told you all about my granny and, and dropped me off at that daycare. Or maybe I didn't tell you all. Maybe I told Wednesday group that. Anyway, you know, why are you staring at that door, Leland? Granny's coming back. You've been waiting for four hours. She's coming back. If I'd have learned to read a clock, I'd have known that it had been at four o'clock, and I would have known to watch the clock instead of the door, and I would have had a better day. But anyway, we don't have a clock. We don't get to know how to read the clock. We know that one day we will see Jesus. We will see him at his second coming. Or we will see him the day that we close our eyes in death. And that day is coming. Yes. That day is coming and it is rapidly approaching. And it is going to get here quicker than you realize it is going to get here. Amen. Okay? Amen. High school would never end. And then it was over. And then one day you look back and you're, one day you get this card in the mail. It's time for your 20-year high school reunion. You're like, whoa, hell, whoa, whoa, whoa. Hey, hang on. I ain't been that long. I ain't been out of the high school that long, have I? And then your daughter's graduating, and then she's going off to places, you know, and you're like, what happened, man? Because it happens quickly. It's, it happens quicker than you know. And if deadlines and dates that we have calendars and clocks and planners sneak up on us, imagine how the date that we don't know is going to sneak up on us. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to prophesy before y'all this morning. I'm going to prophesy. You know what's going to happen Friday. Friday, I'm going to walk into a flower shop, and there's going to be 15 men in front of me in line. Yeah. Now, we have all known this day was coming, but it still caught us by surprise, right? If we, April 15th, people will be lined up outside the post office to drop their tax returns in the mail. We've known this day was coming, right? May 2nd. Oh, people forget that one. But anyway, if these days sneak up on us and we know they're coming, imagine what's going to happen to us. We don't want the day of the Lord to sneak up on us. Mark 11 teaches us about three things. The coming of the Lord, being ready for the Lord, and trusting God. I want to talk to you all about the coming of the Lord. In verses 7 through 9, we see this colt. They brought the colt to Jesus and cast their garments on him, and he sat upon him. And many spread their garments in the way, and others cut down branches off trees and strawed them in the way. And they that went before and they that followed cried, saying, Hosanna, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. What is up with this colt, this donkey? Y'all ever ridden a donkey? It's kind of a kind of a clumsy experience. Yeah. Not like a noble steed. Not like a Clydesdale. <laughs> no. Jesus is riding in on a donkey. He's <laughs> Miss Rosemary's ridden on a donkey. She's reliving it right now. <laughs> the creator of all things, the Messiah, the Lord, riding into town on a donkey. But there's something special about that. 
Because, see, man does things a certain way. If I were the king of the world and I were riding in to take my throne, I would have a noble steed. But God is different. And God does things to stand out. Not only that, but the significance of this donkey is that it was given in Scripture. In Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, the Bible says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh to thee. He is just and having salvation lowly and riding upon an ass and upon a colt the foal of an ass. God gave us all the signs to look for. Gave them the signs to look for. He gave them a time frame through Daniel's 70 weeks. And then he gave them the sign to look for. Here's what you're looking for. It was in the scripture, and they knew it. Behold, your king comes to you. He is just. That means he is fair. That means he is righteous. That means he does things the right way. You don't have an evil king coming to you. You have a righteous king coming to you. That makes all the difference in the world, doesn't it? Here in America, we have, we have lived under good presidents. We have lived under bad presidents. You, and I'm not talking about effective presidents versus ineffective presidents. I'm talking about morally right presidents, and we've lived under morally wrong presidents, have we not? And there is a difference in the environment in the country when that happens. We have had good governors and bad governors. We've had good local politicians, and we've had bad local politicians. Don't ask me to name them. But we've lived under both situations. And there's a difference, isn't there? And Israel had a history where they had lived under good kings and they had lived under bad kings. And what the scripture is saying here is, the good king cometh. The good king is coming. He's just. He's good. He's fair. He's righteous. And he's having salvation. Salvation. Deliverance. Restoration. You know what I liked about my granny showing up to daycare? Because I was going to get out of that daycare. I didn't have to listen to that daycare worker no more. She had all kinds of strange ideas for things I ought to have to do. I, you know that woman wanted me to learn how to write letters? I mean, just make the letter A. I didn't want to make the letter A. I saw no value in learning that. But I had to learn to make the letter A. And then I got that down. That's not good enough. I have to learn B. And I have to write it on the chalkboard in front of everybody. I hated that. <laughs> Granny comes. I don't have to do that no more. I was going to be delivered. I was going to be saved, right? The good king is, I know that's a silly, but, but y'all remember? Y'all remember school and daycare and, and trying to get out of things and looking forward to graduation? You were saved. You were delivered. You didn't have to put up with that no more, right? That's what the good king is going to do. He is coming. He is just. He is righteous. He has salvation. He is going to deliver you, Israel. During the days of Zechariah, were living under oppression. He was going to deliver them from the oppression. In the days of the Romans, when Jesus rode in on the donkey, they were being oppressed by the Romans. He was bringing salvation. But the salvation that Jesus delivers us from is not just a temporary situation of being stuck in a daycare and having to learn to write letters or living in a country where you have to pay taxes or, or dealing with a disease that you are suffering with. But the deliverance comes from the deliverance of the curse of living under sin. Living under the sin curse. We all live under it. Yeah. My patients that are in hospice care, they're, 
they're dying. They have cancer. They have cardiovascular problems. They, they have Alzheimer's and Parkinson's and MS and dementia and these different diseases that are tearing their bodies up to where they will no longer be able to live. Why are they going through that? It's because of the sin curse. Jesus isn't just going to deliver us from the disease. He's not just going to deliver us from the pain and the suffering of living in this world. He's going to deliver us from the cause of the pain and the suffering. He's bringing salvation. And the Bible said, the Old Testament said in Zechariah chapter 9, your king is coming, he is just and having salvation. How will I know it's him? He'll be lowly and riding upon a donkey and upon a colt the foal of a donkey. Yep. They knew what to look for. All the signs were there. And as Jesus rode in, they see Jesus coming. What are they thinking about? They're thinking about their jobs. They're thinking about what other people think of them. They're thinking about their pocketbooks. They're thinking about their financial futures. When the wise men went to Jerusalem in Matthew chapter 2 and asked, Where is he that's born the king of the Jews? King Herod was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. Why? Because this is going to upset the apple cart. They saw Jesus riding in and you had two schools of thought happening when Jesus was riding in just as the Old Testament had foretold. School of thought A was, this is going to cost us our jobs. We have to get rid of this guy. School of thought B was, how can we cash in on this deal? And they missed him. They weren't ready for him. For him. Jesus said in Luke chapter 19, if you had known that this was your day, if you had known, if you had paid attention, if your eyes had been open, but now you're spiritually blind and it's hidden from you. Let's not find ourselves in that situation. We know that Jesus is coming back. Acts chapter 1, verse 11. The two angels that appeared to the disciples. Acts chapter 1, they all go up on the Mount of Olives. They're up there. And Jesus says, you'll be witnesses to me throughout the entire world. And he ascends up into the clouds and disappears into the sky to be with our heavenly father. And the disciples are sitting there like, whoa. And these two angels walk up. Actually, the Bible says two men in white raiment. We know who those guys were. Two angels walk up and they say, why are y'all looking up in the sky? Get your heads out of the clouds, man. Y'all need to go do what you're supposed to be doing. The same way you saw him go up, he's going to come back down. Verse 11 in Acts chapter 1 says, The same Jesus which was taken up from you into heaven shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. Jesus himself said in Revelation chapter 22, verses 12 through 13, Behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me, to give every man according as his work shall be. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Mm -hmm. Jesus says, I come quickly. Amen. You say it's been 2,000 years. For us, he comes quickly. Yes. He'll be here faster than you know. Yes. That song by Kenny Chesney, Don't Blink. You're six years old, you take a nap, you know, you wake up, your high school sweetheart becomes your bride, <coughs> then before you know it, your bride of 50 years is laying there and you pray that God takes you instead. You just, it just flies by. How long ago was it that we had an apartment in Nacogdoches and we ordered Papa John's pizza? I just, it just flew by, didn't it? It's, it's astonishing to think about Rachel being the same age we were when we had her. It just, it just flies by, doesn't it? 
Brother Wayman, how quickly has a time passed between the time you came here and the time that you and Vicki pulled up on the campus of Liberty Baptist College? It just flew by, didn't it? Surely he comes quickly. Well, I may not live to see the Lord come, but you're going to see the Lord. You close your eyes in death, but be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That day is coming quickly. Yes. Preachers try to scare you. They say, you could get in an accident out here leaving church, which could happen on sunrise. But even if it doesn't, these next few years, whether they be 5, 10, or 20, are going to fly by. You won't even rec- you won't even recognize they've gone, so you want to be you want to be prepared. Yes. But I'm also going to tell you that the time of the return of Jesus is getting close. Yes. Now I'm not a fire and brimstone Jesus is coming back tomorrow. Let me point out a bunch of stuff in the news and get you scared over this business kind of preacher. But I'm going to tell you that an honest look at the scriptures, the ingredients are all there. Jesus said in Matthew 24, Matthew 24, by the way, the disciples asked Jesus, what shall be the sign of your physical return? Okay, this is Jesus, what shall be the sign of thy coming and what, the the word perusia, if we're going to get into the Greek, Brother Jim, means a physical presence. I call it Brother Jim because Brother Jim, he tells us he doesn't do word studies, he reads guys who do word studies, but you do really good. Um, Perusia means physical presence. Matthew 24, 6 through 8, Jesus says, You shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. Really? That's all there. Wars and rumors of wars. Iran. They attack our embassy. We kill their general. They fire some rockets. You know, and then all of a sudden it's quiet. Too quiet, right? Iran, Syria, China, Russia, Ukraine, so on and so forth. Wars and rumors of wars. Nation shall rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. Y'all ever read World War One and World War Two history? That's exactly what happened. And the stage said again, why didn't we just bomb Iran and, and invade that country and blow them off the face of the planet? Why didn't we do that? Because they have a big brother named Russia that says, go ahead and try it. And we got an issue, you see? Taiwan, there's another. So it's all there. The ingredients are there. Nation shall rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. And there shall be famines. We see that happening in various places in the globe. And pestilences. Well, we're having that quite a bit. Coronavirus, right? Swine flu, avian flu, bird flu, this flu, that flu. By the way, the flu, the flu. We're talking about, you know, the coronavirus killed 13 people. How many has the flu killed? Thousands. You don't think about it. Measles. Smallpox. These things are coming back. Leprosy has been, de- has been detected in Los Angeles. I mean, Jessica used to work in the public health department. Their job was containment of these things. And they'd get these reports about things that was like, like I'd talk to Cliff. I'd be like, oh, this is, this is scary stuff. Bed bugs. <laughs> when I was a kid, 
we had a saying, night, night, sleep tight, don't let the bed bugs bite. I, I didn't know what one of those was. I thought it was a made-up little creature. They, they're real. Yeah. I don't have them. I just want to set y'all at ease. I don't have them. <laughs> but, but you read about, there'll be a hotel. They had, they had to close down for bed bugs. Texarkana, Texas, they had to close down the movie theater because of, or we were told that by the local hotel, because of bed bugs. You know, they just, uh, um, Andy's Pest Troopers has a billboard up on Main Street. You know, bed bugs like to travel. All right? They're not fictional little creatures. Never heard of them when I was a kid except for the saying, now they're everywhere. <laughs> and I'm paranoid. And so pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. We've gotten so used to earthquakes, we don't even talk about them in the news anymore. You know, I mean, Texas has one in West Texas. They'll have one about 3.5. It's like a you know, oil field stuff, you know, just let, just let that go. And so we don't even think about that anymore. Why am I telling you all all this? Oh, because all the signs are there. Verse 8 in Matthew 24 says, All these are the beginning of sorrows. Why haven't I hidden in my bunker yet? Oh, okay, first, I don't have a bunker. Logical explanation. But secondly, when Jesus says, All these are the beginning of sorrows, that's a euphemism for childbirth. And so when you're having a baby, um, which I've never done, but Jessica has, and so I got to see her do it, but when you're having a baby and you have that first labor pain, you don't freak out and run to the hospital right then, do you? You wait for the next one. And how long was that between the two of them? A few hours, maybe. You wait for the next one. It's a little closer. That one hurt a little bit more. And it gets closer. And it hurts a little bit more. And it gets closer and it hurts even more. When they get about 15 minutes apart, you grab the go bag and you go to the hospital. Or you do what Jessica did when Rachel was born. You believe the doctor when the doctor goes, oh, there's no way you're in labor yet. <laughs> okay, maybe I'm just sore. And you wait till they're about five minutes apart, and then you call your husband and say, hey, we got to go to the hospital. And the husband says, hey, I'm at work, and you got the car. Did you know you can, did you know you can drive 30, minutes and 30 miles in 15 minutes? <laughs> I did. Anyway, but what do you do? You, you get the one birth pain, and you wait for the next one. You wait for the next. And, and what happens is, they get closer together and they get more severe. And when they get really close and really severe, you know, you got you a baby coming. Yes. And you have your baby. And so that's what the second coming of Christ is going to be like with these signs. So you have one birth pain, World War I. We had 20 years until the next one. And then Israel was formed as a nation. Then you have Israel taking its old territory back. And then you have signs being fulfilled in the scriptures here. You just keep an eye on it. Will you live to see Jesus come back? I don't know. But I'm saying it's getting closer. Yeah. And I'm saying the day that you see him will arrive quicker than you think it's going to be here. So be prepared. What happened then and what can happen today is that people get caught up in the day-to-day -day business as usual, the day-to-day -day political fights, the day-to-day -day, uh, trying to get... Uh, you know, put in our time at work and try to get those projects done and we miss the signs and we're unprepared for the return of Christ. There are a lot of similarities between the Pharisees of, the, of Jesus' day and the so-called Christian rite of today. There's a lot of similarities between the Sadducees of Jesus' day and the so-called Christian left of today. There's a lot of similarities between the lost people of today and the Gentiles of Jesus' day. 
And, you know, we have to be politically engaged. I get that. But don't get so politically engaged that you're missing the big picture. And that's where the danger is. When I did talk radio, I engaged in every single little battle on a daily basis. We miss the big picture when we do that. At least I know I did. And so we want to be ready for Christ. So let's talk about being ready for Christ. In verses 13 and 14. And seeing a fig tree afar off, having leaves, he came, if haply he might find anything thereon. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for the time of figs was not yet. And Jesus answered and said unto him, No man can eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. And his disciples heard it. I understand why Jesus was disappointed. I've eaten figs, and I've seen the beauty of a fig tree. Why is this fig tree in the story? And why did Jesus condemn the fig tree? He's using the fig tree as an object lesson. He's teaching us something. Mm -hmm. That fig tree was not prepared for its creator. Mm -hmm. That fig tree was not ready for Jesus. Mm -hmm. It did not bear fruit to Jesus. And so the fig tree was condemned. You say, well, they weren't in season yet. That's, don't read too far into that. Jesus is just using a fig tree to teach us a lesson Amen. of what happens when we're not prepared for the Lord. The fig tree often represented Israel in Scripture. Israel was not prepared for Jesus. They had no fruit when it came to spiritual fruit. They had no spiritual presence. They were spiritually barren. They were caught up in their own desires and their own day-to-day -day lives. And so they missed out. We too must be ready. Be the fig tree that bears the fruit. Jesus said, you know a tree by its fruit. Mm -hmm. What kind of fruit does the tree produce? The fruit it was designed to produce. Mm -hmm. The fruit that comes from within. To bear fruit, you must be in Christ. Amen. That's what John chapter 15 was about. I am the vine, you are the branches, right? Mm -hmm. If you are in Christ, you bear fruit. What does that mean? It means that you are spiritually minded, and as you are spiritually minded, you bear spiritual fruit. Yes. To be worldly minded is to, be, is to bear no fruit. The problem with Israel was that they were worldly minded, mm -hmm. and so they bore no fruit. Now, I'm not saying you can't live in the real world. I mean, we do have to go to work. We do have to pay bills. We do have issues that we've got to face. But that's not the point of our existence. We keep the point of our existence first and foremost by keeping Christ first and foremost. And so when we're working, we're not working because we have to put food on the table. We tell people that. But we're working because that's what God designed us to do. And so we're working to honor God. And this looks like different things among different ways. Uh, some people are in business, and so they honor God in the way that they do business. Some people are working in marketing, and so they honor God in the way that they market. I'm actually blessed in that my secular work actually has a spiritual element to it. You know, praying with people and ministering to people in hospice care. And even life insurance has a, has a spiritual element to it. When you think that you're preparing people for the end of their lives... If you're working at McDonald's, I want to tell you that when I go through that drive-thru, that's a happy experience for me. Whether I buy a happy meal or not, I'm going to have a happy meal. You know, you're honoring God with that. You can do that. But don't forget the reason why you're doing it. 
Everything you do is a ministry. We know the people of Jesus' day were carnally minded because they turned the temple into a profit center. They sold doves. They had money changers. They had merchants. They had people selling things in the temple court where people should be coming to pray. You couldn't go to pray in the temple without somebody hitting you up to buy a prayer rag or to change your money into temple money so you could give a proper donation or to buy this dove because this dove is better for the sacrifice than the one you brought from that you raised yourself. You couldn't go into the temple without people hassling you for money. Don't you hate that? That's why we don't take our kids to the carnivals, right? Because they're going to want to play the balloon game or whatever it is, and we know it's going to cost us $5, and it's just, nah, it's, we, don't, we don't even go. They were getting in the way of the worship. They had turned the temple into a profit center. They were trying to make money off of it. They were trying to merchandise it. They had become worldly-minded. And that's why they missed Jesus when he came. That's why they didn't react to him well. All too often, we get caught up in the business at hand. And we lose sight of Christ. If we are preoccupied with the things of this world, we will not be ready for the coming of Christ. But if we're looking for him, and we're ready to receive him, then we won't miss him. We'll be excited to see him come. The Apostle Paul wrote something profound in in 2 Timothy chapter 4. He said that, Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all those also that love his appearing. That love his appearing. I used to not love his appearing. I had things I wanted to do first. Well, those things I wanted to do first, those were idols. Mm -hmm. That wasn't good. I had a worldly mindset. We need to love his appearing and be looking forward to it. It doesn't make you a weird Christian extremist to be looking forward to the coming of Jesus. Because that's the grand reunion that you've been promised, that you've been holding out for. And so as we look forward to Jesus, we should trust God. Verse 22 and Jesus answering said unto them, Have faith in God. Now here they are going back into Jerusalem. Pete, Peter points out the dead fig tree and says, Hey Jesus, here's that fig tree that you, uh, that you condemned yesterday. And Jesus said, Have faith in God. Well, there's a weird response. Yeah. <laughs> Guys, that was a warning. That was a warning. It's part warning. Faith in God is what shields you from becoming that fig tree. Faith is what brings you into salvation. Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. But it's also part encouragement, because mm-hmm. we like the next verses, where Jesus says, If you truly believe, you can save this mountain, be cast in the sea, and it'll be done. Yep. You know, you can move mountains with the faith of a mustard seed. I tried that. And Pike's Peak is still there. I told you I was writing a thing called My Bible's Broken. That was one of the examples I was going to use. What's Jesus talking about? Is Jesus saying that if we just believe hard enough, we can have anything we want? The Bible says in the book of James, you, you have not because you ask not. You ask and you have not because you ask amiss and you may consume it upon your lust. Yeah. 
if you're still asking out of a worldly mindset, it does not matter how hard you ask and how hard you believe. You're still not getting it because you're asking out of a worldly mindset. What's Jesus talking about here with the moving of mountains? Tony Evans says that mountains are, are symbolic in scripture of obstacles. And if you've ever had to cross a mountain range, you, you learn to believe that, 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 that they're obstacles. So what are you talking about with moving mountains? What are we talking about here? We're talking about what Brother Jim mentioned during Sunday school when he talked about how we are under the protection of God. That, you know, that we're not going to pass away before it's our time to pass away, before God's done with us on this earth. When you are a child of God, trusting the Lord and living for the Lord, you have got this divine presence and protection on you that is unmatched. Mm -hmm. And nothing is going to happen to you that is outside his will. That's right. You know, Miss Rosemary said a few times this morning that she's tried to leave Marketplace a few times and God said, I'm not done with you there. And <laughs> there, I saw a thing online that said, you know, I asked God to deliver me and God said, I'm not done with you there. And I, I asked, uh, I asked God, well, why not? You know, I mean, I, I've been here forever and God said, we well, ain't done nothing yet. You know, I mean, it's just, you, you can take a humorous look at the scriptures and just have fun with it. Um, but what verses 23 and 24 is talking about is that divine presence, that divine protection. Yes. That's what it's talking about. And verses 25 and 26, Jesus says, and when ye stand praying, forgive. And if ye have aught against any, that your Father also, which is in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father, which is in heaven, forgive you your trespasses. This is the hardest part of the scriptures right here. Yes. What's Jesus talking about? He's talking about faith. You have faith, you can move mountains. Mm -hmm. You have faith, you're living for the Lord, he'll move those mountains for you. you. He's got that divine protection over you. But you know what else is an exercise in faith? Forgiveness. Yes. Was in a meeting, and we were talking about the spiritual care of some of our patients, and one of our medical directors said, how can you just forgive somebody that's done something to you? How does that work? Because you can't forget it. And you're right, you can't forget it. The good thing is, Jesus never said, forgive and forget. That's a humanism. He said, forgive. What's it mean to forgive? It means to release. It means to let go. It means that I'm no longer taking it upon myself to hold this person accountable for what they have done to me. That's right. Okay? I'm releasing that. And if you learn to do that, you will find yourself in a place of peace because yes. when you don't forgive and you're still angry, that eats at you. Yes. So you just learn to release. Amen. How's that, how is that an act of faith? Because you're trusting God to hold them accountable. Yes. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay. You're trusting God to hold them accountable. And there's a couple of things to God holding them accountable. One, God can do things to them you cannot. That's right. So, you know, your revenge is going to be way, is going to pale in comparison to what God's going to do. But here's the other thing. When God carries out his vengeance and he holds them accountable, there's an opportunity for redemption for them. Yes. But your releasing of them requires you to trust God to do that. Yes. 
We think we're in control of life, but we're really not. God is. Yes. We need to learn to trust him. Yes. 